All right, to give uh, recording over there, Jason. All right. So this morning, um, we're going to pick back up in Malachi. We're still going to be in chapter one. And as we mentioned last week, there are six disputes in the book of Malachi. Uh, the first one um, went straight to the heart of the matter, really. It said that God uh, loves humanity, especially his chosen people. And that first dispute really gives us probable cause for why these other problems exist. I, the, the Jews didn't believe that God loved them because of the exile, because of what they were going through. And so that creates this, I think, this probable cause for why they acted uh, against God the way that they did. And so the other, the other disputes that are gonna come up are gonna be a little bit more pointed and they're gonna be more aggressive toward the people. Um, if the first of the 10 commandments is about loving God above everything else, and if the Shema, is about loving God with all that we have, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then a failure to love God and to understand God's love for us will surely lead to deficiencies in our beliefs and our actions. And does that make sense? If, if we don't love God the way that we're commanded to, if we're not loving God, then it's going to be impossible to keep his commands the way that he wants us to. And we're going to fall short in living for him in a way that honors him. Uh, so in verse six, Malachi takes aim at a specific group of people. And it's kind of an uncomfortable one for me to preach on because the group he's attacking is the priests. Um, now, no, we don't have priests in our denomination. Uh, we don't practice many of the things that the priests were prescribed to do in the Old Testament, such as animal sacrifices. But I believe that the lessons uh, that that are taught to the priests that the, the confrontation applies to all of us in the faith community. So as, as we go into these other disputes, uh, just a reminder, the structure of the disputes is pretty consistent. You have God saying, hey, here's the problem. And then you have a reply from the accused. And then you have God giving evidence through the prophet of, of the charges to prove that the charges are justified. And then you have some consequences. So this would be kind of like most of us, uh, address our kids when our kids get caught doing something wrong. You know, it's like, let me tell you what you've done wrong. And then the kids go, oh, I didn't know I did that. Or how did I do that? And then you go, oh, let me tell you what you did. And we explain that. And if you don't change, this is what's going to happen. Or because you did this, this is what's going to happen. So it's very much God uh, treating his people the way a father would treat their children. And he's actually going to appeal to that this morning. So the first dispute was whether or not God loves the Jews. And if that love is measurable by their current circumstances. And the dispute was answered that God does love the Jews. This week, the second dispute is against the priests. Um, now, I just want to say something just to kind of put you at ease a little bit. This is the message of the prophets is one that is meant to confront. It's, it's meant to cause change. It's meant to cause repentance. It's meant to adjust the way that we live, our attitudes and our actions. So as we study the rest of the book of Malachi, you should expect that it's gonna hurt. You're gonna get pierced, you're gonna be confronted, it's going to be uncomfortable, uh, but you should also expect that God will bless you as you allow him to convict you and to change you. So as we tackle these charges, these disputes that come up, God wants us to become uncomfortable with them if there's something that we need to change in our lives. That's the point of the message, is to help us see that there's things that need to change in our heart and in our, in our actions. 
Um, so just going to get that out there to begin with so that when you, you know, when you're we're done with the message, you're like, wow, Mike, that was, that was pretty heavy or, um, wow, that was pretty convicting. It's like, that's what God wants from us in this case. Um, so the dispute number two made to the priest is you do not honor God. That's the dispute that comes up. And so Malachi chapter one, verse six, it says this, a son honors his father and a servant, his master. But if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies, to you priests who despise my name? And yet you ask, how do we despise your name? So God starts out by appealing to the priests as both a father and a master. Now, when I think of my father, I don't think of master or boss. Um, there, there's a difference in relationship there. Uh, my father is the one who cares for me, who provided for me, who disciplined me when I needed it. And we really talked about that um, when we talked about God's love, the fact that God disciplined them, proved that God loved them uh, in last week's message. But the command to honor our earthly parents was given in the wilderness as part of the Ten Commandments. So this idea of honoring our father is something that goes way, way back. So if you are um, living in the household of your parents, uh, this is a great verse for you to keep in mind and to live by, uh, Exodus 20, verse 12. Uh, honor your father and your mother so that you may have long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But the command to honor our earthly fathers is designated and designed to remind us also that we need to honor our heavenly father. God says that the priests failed to honor him as a father. So the way that they would expect their children to honor them, uh, they have failed to honor God as their father in that same way. The second relationship he appeals to is that of master. Um, the second role is, is the boss, that one who is worthy of respect. And, and your boss is worthy of respect if for no other reason than the office that they hold, right? I mean, even if you don't care for the person, you can and should respect the office and the person in that office. And I think this is a, a very valid message for our society today. Um, we, we carry a lot of bitterness and hatred for the person in the office, and we shouldn't be. Um, it's an office that God has ordained. And we examine the life of Daniel many times as he served leaders who worshiped other gods. He still showed them respect. He still showed them the honor of their position, even if they weren't honoring God. And we saw David live this out when he had a chance to kill Saul, who was trying to kill him. But he wouldn't, and he said, I will not lay a hand on God's anointed. So understanding that even bosses or masters who we would say are, are not good bosses or masters or God-honoring bosses or masters, we still need to respect that office and we should still have um, some form of dignity that we present to people in that office. First Timothy 6.1 says, all who are under the yoke of slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Just as we're to respect our earthly bosses, that respect is meant to reflect our desire to honor God as our ultimate boss, as our ultimate master. Now we have, in our Bibles, we have this term Lord. Well, what does Lord mean? It means someone who is over us, who is our master. So why would we call him Lord if we don't give him the respect is what he's saying. And God is saying, you don't respect me. To so these priests, you haven't honored me and you haven't feared me or revered me. And then after laying these two charges on them, he puts another one on there. 
And he says, you priests who despise my name. And they reply, well, how have we despised your name? And you know, the reply, of course, is, well, what are you talking about? How have we done this to you? And uh, on a side note here, uh, this really, 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 uh, these retorts that we keep hearing uh, in, in these disputes, the people's response back, really remind me of when God confronted Cain um, after Cain had killed his brother Abel. And God confronts him, and, and Cain is like, am I my brother's keeper? What are you talking about? And so there's that, that instant retort of not wanting to say that there's something wrong, but trying to defend oneself. And, and it's, it all goes back to that Genesis narrative, in this case, that, that attitude of rebellion and a response. How have we defiled you? How have we despised your name? Now, you notice they didn't ask, how have we not honored you? They didn't ask, how have we not feared you? They do ask, how have we despised your name? And so God tells him in, in Malachi 1.7, by presenting defiled food on my altar. Well, how have we defiled you, they asked, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? Well, they had despised God by offering defiled food as sacrifices. And then God goes into this um, explanation of what they were doing. And it's pretty, it's pretty um, bad, actually. Uh, Malachi 1a continues, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? When you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor? Ask the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. I will not accept the offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen and lame or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. No, the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Wow, that is a heavy message against the priests. God says, listen, you, you haven't honored me and you haven't feared me. You've given me defective sacrifices. I think there's something we have to kind of comprehend here and start to wrap our heads around. Anytime we walk in blatant disobedience to God's law, it's an indicator that we've lost respect and honor for God. Did you catch that? Anytime we walk in blatant disobedience to God and his law, it's an indicator that we have lost our respect and our honor of God. They had failed to honor and fear God, which led to their callous disobedience 
to the commands of God. They were, they were presenting defective animals to God as a sacrifice, blind, lame, sick animals, and apparently they even stole some of them and presented these pathetic offerings to God in hopes that God would bless them. Now, maybe, I mean, maybe we can rationalize this, right? So the people maybe felt justified in offering the sick and the lame. I mean, they were captives, right? They lost most of what they had, if not all of it. Their society and their economy were in disrepair. They were in a depression, you can say. Uh, their economic situation was not stable. I mean, doesn't it make sense to offer to God the parts that are weak so they can build up stronger and be able to give God more and better in the future? I mean, doesn't that just make sense? Well, no, it doesn't. It does from a worldly perspective, but not from a godly perspective. Really, the answer should be absolutely no way should that be acceptable. And I think this is the challenge of looking at our circumstances, which is where we started with the first dispute, and then looking at God's commands. It's easy for us to look at our circumstances and to justify our actions, as opposed to saying, no, this is God's command, and I will follow it wholeheartedly. There's a few reasons why this attitude was wrong, the, the, the effective sacrifices. And the first one is, is just outright a violation of God's commands. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 17 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak to Aaron, his sons, and all the Israelites, and tell them that any man of the house of Israel, or of the resident aliens in Israel who present his offering, whether they present payments of vows or freewill gifts to the Lord as burnt offerings, must offer an unblemished male from his cattle, sheep, or goats, in order for you to be accepted. You are not to present anything that has a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. Now, God is saying in this passage in Malachi that these offerings were not accepted, that God would not accept them because they were defective and they weren't giving God their best. I mentioned that this is kind of a flashback to Cain and Abel. When God confronts Cain, he says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And so this idea of acceptance on God's part comes from being one to trust him and to obey him in this case. So there are several other passages that, we, that talk about this, and of course the priests who are responsible for overseeing the sacrifices would know what the law says about it. And I think the next statement really shows how they had dishonored God. He, he makes a really pointed statement. Would you give those sacrifices to your earthly governor? And if so, would he be pleased with it? Apparently, they didn't recognize God as important anymore. What a powerful statement. If you would not give a gift to somebody on this earth, why would you offer it to Yahweh, the creator and sustainer of life? God said he would rather have the temple doors shut and sacrifices cease completely than to be mocked and minimalized by the pathetic offering of his people. Instead of being magnified through these offerings, God was being minimized. And instead of the Jews fearing God, they were despising God. Just a thought, have you ever really thought that the value of the gift you offer someone, especially God, can reflect the value and the honor that you feel for that person? I believe that verse 13 also shows another problem and that there's an attitude issue. They were like, what a pain this is. And now imagine being a priest and offering up sacrifices for the people day in and day out. 
You know, imagine if I had to be up here at the church building with the altar and you would come and everybody from the church family would come and they'd bring their sacrifices, you know, of course, none of you would have to bring sin offerings because none of you would sin, I know. But let's say you did have to bring a sin offering and I had to sacrifice it, put it on the altar and, and take care of the, the entrails and take care of the blood and take care of the skin and burn this part and do this part. And then somebody brings a free will offering and I got to do all that. So all day long, I'm taking care of these animals and I'm taking care of the waste product and all this stuff. What a pain. And then to make sure that your offering is acceptable to God, that it's a perfect one. I mean, that's just another burden, another burden responsibility that I didn't sign up for. What does that sound familiar nowadays, doesn't it? The word nuisance in this passage is also translated hardship. God, what a burden you've put on us. The priests viewed their service to God as a hardship and not a privilege. They were chosen from all of the rest to have a special relationship with God, and they were handpicked to offer service to God. We studied that when we studied Exodus chapters 28 and 29. Yet they found it an annoyance or a drudgery to perform their duties for God and to present their best to God. Disobedience and discontentment plagued the priests after the exile. And then God makes a couple statements. In verse 14, he says, I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. It's similar to what he declared in verse 11, where he said, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offering will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. And we read it in chapter 1, verse 5 last week where God says, your own eyes will see this, and you yourselves will say, the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. Regardless of what the priests do or don't do, God will not allow his name to be mocked, nor his honor minimalized. He will be praised. He will be exalted. And if not from the Jews, then from the rest of the nations. So God levies this really heavy charge against the religious leaders, the religious servants, the hand-picked servants of God, the priests, from the line of Levi, the Levites. And then he says how he's going to punish them if things don't change, and how he's already started punishing them. And that picks up in chapter 2. We're going to read through it uh, together this morning. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Because of what they've done, there's a sentence that's passed down. Therefore, this decree is for you, priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread animal waste on their faces, the waste from your festival sacrifice and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave these to him. It called for reverence and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth. 
because he is a messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other way, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble in your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people, because you are not keeping my ways, but showing partiality in your instruction. Just as God had been humiliated by their offerings, God is going to humiliate them. And it's a pretty graphic description. I mean, he says he's going to take all the, the waste from the animals, the, the excrement, the entrail, all that nasty stuff. He's going to smear it on their faces and then carry them out with it to be dumped on the manure pile at the dung gate. I mean, basically, it's what he's saying. He's like, we're going to take all this and we're just, I'm going to humiliate you in front of all the people by, by just smearing this all over your face. And he talks about this covenant with Levi. It's really the covenant with the Levites that is referred to. Um, it's one that God made and that he will keep. And in uh, one of the other prophets, Jeremiah, talks about this covenant in Jeremiah 33, 17. So this is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of the house of Israel. We call that the Davidic covenant. He says, the Levitical priest will never fail to have a man always before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices. We call that the Levitical covenant, or the covenant of Levi. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day, and my covenant with the night, so that the night and day cease to come at the regular time, then also my covenant with my servant David may be broken. And if that could happen, then he would not have a son reigning on the throne, and the Levitical priests would not be my ministers. But even as the stars of heaven cannot be counted, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so too I will make innumerable the descendants of my servant David and the Levites who minister to me. And both Malachi and Jeremiah are referring back to a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 8 and 9 where it says the Lord at that time set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Lord's covenant to stand before the Lord and to serve him and to pronounce blessings in his name as it is today. And for this reason, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance like his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance and the Lord your God, as the Lord your God told him. So notice in that passage in Deuteronomy, he takes the Levites as a people and he refers to them as Levi. Levi does not have a portion. He goes back to the ancestral tribe of Levi, the son of Israel, of Jacob. Um, and he said the Lord would be their inheritance. They would stand before the Lord and serve forever. So God refers to Levi, the person, but is referring to the priesthood and the Levites as a whole more than a particular person. Um, and in this way, God is symbolizing the entire priesthood into a single person, Levi, the father of the tribe. And, and this is important because if you go back to Genesis, Levi, the Levi of Genesis, the father of the tribe, was actually cursed by Jacob because he, had a, he and his brother had a vengeful, anger, murderous um, spurt where they even said that they, they hamstrung innocent animals. Um, and God reversed that curse later on when he blessed the tribe of Levi to be his special people. And in Malachi, God threatens to reverse the blessing back to a curse and to take their blessings and to reverse them back to curse. But God points out how the original priests, as personified through the name Levi, acted. They revered God. 
they feared him. They were faithful to instruct people with truth, so they honored God. They walked in peace and integrity, so they were obedient to God. And they turned people back to God, so they understood the mission of God. These are the things that are lacking in the priests at the end of the exile. The priests were to be the messengers for the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of the armies. They were to teach, instruct, walk, and live in such a way that the name of God is revered and the people around them, the nations, those who are, who are gods and those who are not, would see and experience Yahweh. But these priests were guilty of living lives of spiritual hypocrisy and ritualistic mediocrity that taught people the wrong things about God and the majesty of his name. That's a lot to take in, and it's a lot to be charged with. And we started this message saying that we're not Old Testament priests, and we don't have animal sacrifices. So the real question is, why does this even matter to the church today? Is this just a message for David and I as elders of the church? Is it a message for the, the priests of the, of the Jewish faith um, for today? Is it just something that was in existence for that time post-exile? Or does it still apply today? Well, I want to draw some parallels into the New Testament. The first thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as the ultimate high priest. Not one who went in to make a sacrifice for the people, but one who went in to be the sacrifice for the people. He was unstained from sin, unblemished, and made atonement for our sin. He paid the price for our sin. He feared God, he honored God, he obeyed God, and he instructed through his life what it means to be a follower of Yahweh. His life and his death are the ultimate example of a sacrifice that pleases God. And I'd encourage you this week um, to read through the book of Hebrews. Don't try to read through the book of Hebrews to comprehend everything that it says, because you can spend the next three years studying Hebrews and not comprehend everything that it says. But I want you to read through the book of Hebrews and see what you learn about Jesus as the high priest and how it fits in with the covenant of Levi that we just referred to this morning. But that's Jesus. What about you and me today? Well, you and I, if we've given our faith to Jesus Christ, if we're followers of Christ, you and I are priests according to the new covenant, according to the church age, the new temple age that we have. First um, Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. I'll give you just a second to turn there. First Peter 2, 2 through 5. And we're going to read uh, a couple sections in this chapter. First Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 2, it says this. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. And if you have tasted that the Lord is good, and as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, as a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy 
priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? That we who have accepted Christ are to grow up in our salvation so that we are being built into a priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse nine, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as a chosen race, like the Jews were, as a royal priesthood, like the Levites were, as a holy nation, as a people for his possession, handpicked by God to serve him, we can now proclaim his praises to whom? To the nations, so that they can see what an amazing king, what an awesome God he is through the way that we live our lives as Christ lived and sacrificed our lives for him. We refer to this as the priesthood of believers. Can you just see all the parallels between these verses and those in Malachi? We're to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Check out Romans chapter 12. You'll see more of that. And just like Levi was chosen, we are chosen in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. We're to proclaim the praises of God among all the nations. In essence, the commands to the priests in Malachi chapters 1 and 2 apply to each and every one of us that has accepted Jesus as the chosen one of God and surrender our lives to him. We are messengers of the Lord of armies, chosen to stand before him, privileged to offer up spiritual sacrifices, our very lives to him. We're called to represent him, to teach his word, to be examples, to point others to him so that his name will be great among all the nations through us. So as priests of the new covenant, as spiritual descendants of Levi, chosen by God to walk blamelessly before him and obeying his commands, how are we doing? This is really the tough question that we have to start asking ourselves. If we are now the priests of God, would Malachi, if he came today, be preaching to us the same message? Do any of the charges that are levied against the priests in Malachi's day sound like charges might press against you or me today? So let's just ask ourselves. Let's go through it. And remember, it's going to get uncomfortable. Um, we're going to even talk about the, the giving that we have. And I, I don't know what people give, so please, this is not pointed at any one person or I, I'm not meaning to call individuals out. This is the way that God's word and God's spirit need to work in our lives to convict us and to show us um, where we may be deficient. So do any of these charges sound like things God might levy against us? So ask ourselves this question. Do I offer God the leftovers, the discards, the things that I don't need or want, or do I give him the best and first of everything? 
here's a way to even ask that. Do you give bigger gifts to your coworkers for a special event than you give to God? If you had a chance to chat with God about your finances and look over your budget with him, do you think he would be pleased with the gifts that you have set aside for him? If not, this is a great time to change that. You should adjust that. And that's what Malachi is calling people to. So listen, you're giving God the defective stuff and keeping the best for yourself. You wouldn't even give the defective stuff. You wouldn't even give what you were offering God to an earthly boss. Why would you give it to God? And so we need to ask ourselves, do we believe that God is pleased with the gifts that we're giving him? And if not, we need to change that. Are we more generous with the people around us that we see than we are with God? Because if we are, then we have gotten to the same point as the priest where we dishonor God, where we don't see him as valuable. If we would be embarrassed to give those gifts to people, we should be embarrassed to give them to the Lord of heaven's armies, to the King of kings, to Lord of lords. So that's the first question that we have to ask as priests of the new covenant. And it's not a comfortable one. And again, I don't know what anybody in, in this church family gives. I don't see the finances. This is not me calling anybody out. But if God is convicting you in this area, act on it. That's the purpose of the prophets, is to point things out that we may need to adjust in our lives. The second one is this. Do you find your service to God to be a chore and a burden? I mean, let's face it. Being on yet another Zoom meeting is exhausting and can be burdensome. Okay, let's just be real about that. Um, but as a general rule, do you find spending time with God in his word? Do you find spending time with God's people doing his work? Do you find spending time getting to know your neighbor so you can share God's love with them as wearisome and a burden? Or do you see it as an amazing privilege or calling? John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, For this is what the love of God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Do we see the commands of God and being faithful to him as a burden? Oh, God, this is such a nuisance. You've made it too hard. Just take the best that I'm going to give you now and bless me anyway. That's what the priests were saying. And have we ever said that to God? This can be a tougher one to work through because this is more of a heart issue. And so to work through this one, you may need to start with prayer. And you may need to get to the point where David did in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, where he said, Search me, O God. Know my heart. And test me and know my concerns and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I guess the third question is this. Are the lives that we are living pointing others to the greatness of God? The Levites were supposed to live in such a way that they honored God and feared God and taught God's word so that the nations around them would be in awe of the majesty and the greatness of God. Are the lives that we live, not just on the Sunday morning hour, but when we're with our coworkers, when we're with our fellow soldiers, when we're with our teachers, or when we're with our friends, do we point people to the greatness of God? 
in the way that we live? These are some tough questions to wrestle with. And they're not meant to be um, questions that are raised without hope that it can change. All of these things that the Levites are being accused of, that the priests are being accused of, were things that they once did. And that by the grace of God and through the Spirit of God, we can do. So it's not that the charges are levied and, that they can, and, and there's never, never a chance for hope or for change. The goal of the prophets was to preach repentance so people could change. And we know that. We know the story of Jonah and we saw how that worked. We know the message of John the Baptist in the New Testament, of the message of repent and turn and do the right thing. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we close out. Uh, we're going to put a video up on the screen and, uh, and just give you a chance to turn the volume down a little bit if you want to and just have some silent prayer. And then I'm going to close this out in prayer after the song. But I want us to ask these questions. Are we honoring God with our gifts? Are we fearing the Lord in our obedience? And are we magnifying God in the way that we live our lives around others and around his word. And if not, what needs to change? And start by saying, God, I am sorry that I let you down. I am sorry that I needed to be called out and that I've forgotten what you've done for me and the privilege that I have of being your person, your chosen person, your child, the one loved by you. Help me to live in a way that honors you. Help me to adjust my life to match the life of my Savior. Help me to live like the Levites used to, which, by the way, is also a picture of what the Messiah lived like when Jesus came to this earth and what he wants for you and me today. So I'm going to play a short video, and then we're going to uh, close in prayer together. I'm not sure it's working. Maybe I won't.
Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, for your goodness. Thank you that you allow us second chances and third chances and 50th chances. We thank you that you uh, send us messengers to remind us of what really matters in this life and to keep us on track and doing things that please you. We thank you for your prophets and the message that they had, not only for the nation Israel, but for us today. And we thank you for your spirit that convicts us and challenges us and that confronts us with the truth of who you are and who we are. And Father, we know we are broken and sinful and selfish but we also know that through Christ we are chosen and forgiven that we are set apart for your work to declare your, the glories of your name to the world around us Father, help us not to live in the darkness but in the light and help us to make sure that our lives are pointing people to you Forgive us for offering you less than our best, for complaining about uh, our service and ministry that you've called us to, uh, for not revering you enough around others to, that they would want to know you. Teach us how to live in the opposite of that. Teach us to be covenant keepers that are faithful to your word that point people to you, that are obedient and grateful, that who bless you and honor you with the best that we have. Help us to live in light of your promises, not in light of our circumstances. To respect you as our Lord, as our master, to love you as our father, and to share that with the people around us, we pray. Amen.